Enjoy a moment of relaxing calm with the Vita Health Group Wellbeing series of podcasts to make you feel good, keep you healthy, help you make changes to your life. Vita Health Group is an award-winning market leader and has been at the forefront of healthcare for the past 30 years. Vita Health Group, making people better. Yes, and hello. Welcome along to another of the Vita Health Group podcasts. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Glenn Tomset, and it's my job to host this series along with a variety of guests and experts from Vita. We tackle a whole range of subjects which we hope you find beneficial. Vita Health Group works by providing integrated physical and mental health services to employers, insurers, the NHS, and uh, private patients as well. Today's podcast is all about the menopause, and I'm pleased to say I'm joined by Dr. Dr. Sadia Mayer. Dr. Mayer is a menopause expert and highly qualified. She's a practicing clinician, gynecologist and BMS menopause expert, over 25 years experience. And she joins us from her Weybridge in Surrey clinic. Dr. Mayer, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to talk to you. So 25 years practicing in the menopause, a long time. I mean, what did you do before that? Right. So I've been a clinician over 25 years. And I think the question that I ask myself is, having been a clinician that long, how did I end up thinking about menopause and female hormonal balance? And how did I get here? And I think it's, it's interesting when I look back at my journey. I was born and raised in Pakistan. I qualified as a doctor there. And as a female doctor in a conservative society, for me, women's health was something that was a natural choice for me. I started my specialist career after having my firstborn, my son. And it was then that I realized that the top gynecologists, even in conservative Muslim society, happened to be men. And I asked myself the question that how can they, you know, do it so well? And how come we don't have as many women as they should be, you know, at the peak of the career doing this? And once I entered obstetrics and gynae, the thing that fascinated me was hormones. And obviously I was young at that point in time, so I was fascinated by hormones from puberty to the reproductive phase, you know, how do periods start? It's all controlled by hormones. How do we get pregnant or don't get pregnant? Then it's all about hormones. Giving birth, all about hormones. You know, breastfeeding starts, stops, all about hormones. And it wasn't until when my mother was put on hormone replacement therapy, not by a gynecologist, but by an orthopedic surgeon, people who deal with bones and ligaments. Mm. And this was well after she had been through her menopause. And his advice was that, look, you know, this is all wear and tear and this is going to happen, but it would be useful for her to have some years of it and it will, you know, put her in good stead for later. So that happens and that kind of happens and she's on it. And obviously the benefits in her case are long term. She doesn't have any short term set of symptoms that will hot flushes and all the rest. What she may have had has all passed off. And then I arrive in the UK for my postgraduate, for my membership, the Royal College of Forbes and Gynae. And then I start working here. And here, of course, things are very different. Whereas in Pakistan, my whole you know, focus was on maternal mortality and obstetrics and saving lives and, you know, helping with uh, fertility issues and puberty issues because things will take your focus whatever journey you are on in your life as a woman. But what I found here was that because of the better health care, 
women were living longer, which means that all the issues of a hormone-deprived state, i.e. the osteoporosis, i.e. your bones thinning, your mental health being affected, the fact that, you know, the society is such that, you know, we could be aging on our own and therefore the independence factor is even more important. It's even more important to prevent falls so that we don't end up in hospital. Mm. And then all the research that was coming out about hormone replacement therapy in terms of reducing heart disease risk, in terms of reducing Alzheimer's risk, in terms of colon cancer risk. And then you think to yourself that, right, you know, these are the things which are not as common in men as they are in women, especially when we get to menopause, because that's when, you know, our graph is going down. Whereas the male physiological graph in terms of testosterone, which is their protective hormone, carries on. And that is just nature's way of doing things because, you know, we were awarded X number of X cells whilst we were still in our mother's womb. And then every month after reaching puberty, nature is giving us a chance to procreate. But it's a very short window. And whereas for men, their reproductive physiology carries on. So their testosterone keeps going and they're getting a new set of, you know, eggs every three months. Whereas we will start to drop that graph from the age of 30. So therefore, they will not suffer with all the problems that we will suddenly start building up on from the age of 50. Their hormones will still go pretty strong till the age of 70 and so on. And because we are living longer, then it means that, you know, this is going to impact on the health services. This is going to impact on the quality of life. And the whole thing about preventive medicine became my next interest, that how can we prevent things from happening? It's great that we're able to do hip replacements in, you know, very elderly patients. It's great that we can, you know, do our stents and, you know, help with heart disease when those things do happen. But how can we prevent it? And hence... Yeah, I got more mm. and more interested in it. Oh, that's excellent. I mean, you know, it makes you realise that the body, male and female, is an incredibly complex machine, isn't it? And, you know, years ago, I guess, before we knew about the menopause and what women go through today, years and years ago, it must have been quite a mystery to a lot of people, thinking, well, what's happening to my body? I don't really understand it. I mean, well, it must have been a puzzle for many people years ago. I'm sure it was. But you see, again, like I say to my women that back in the day, half of us probably would have died in childbirth. So the ones who would get to menopause, nature has a bit of a backup plan, which it generally relies on the adrenal gland. But then if we are too busy stressing out and what life is throwing at us, then those are not functioning as they should. Mm -hmm. And then we probably would have, you know, on the basis of that, lived on for a few more years till some other disease would have caught us. But I think the whole business now of the awareness is ever so important because we are living longer. So when we are saying that the average age of menopause is around 51, so there'll be people who, you know, stop having periods, you know, some years before that, others some years after that, having said that, it's not the cessation of periods, which is what we're looking for, because the changes will start to happen long before everything comes to a halt. That's a tumultuous time for women, the perimenopause, when these women are a lost tribe, because the general feeling is, or consensus in mainstream is if you're having your periods, you are okay. There are some hormones still going. Yes, they are, but they may be a bit out of whack and somebody needs to understand and listen to them and see where lies the problem and do that detective work. Is there an integrated approach to menopause care now, Dr. Mayer? There is, and I think it's, we say we take the lead from the US. They've been ahead of 
in this game for a long time and we are getting more of it in this country and hopefully we will follow suit and we have to look at the whole person and this is where coming into gender practice which i did because of my personal circumstances i was on my own with my two boys and it meant that hospital practice was not going to fit in especially you know considering for me it was important that i was around for them because childhood is finite and you can't turn that time back so i needed more flexibility and for everybody around me and my peers they were like how can you have done this for so long and achieved everything and now you're going to go into general practice and i was like i need the flexibility i need to do it and it's only when i came into general practice that i realized that you know you always had to look at the whole person they don't come in and telling you i've got a gynecological problem you have to do that detective work and i quite enjoyed that and i'm so privileged to have done that because that meant that as a specialist i could still look at the whole person and that's where integration becomes important where you are looking you know we are trained as conventional doctors we are experienced in our robust methods of diagnosis and treatment but we also integrate into it you know selective evidence based a uh, practice that may be coming from alternative medicine that may be coming from functional medicine that may be coming from complementary medicine and it's only then that you're looking at the mind body and spirit you're looking at you know that whole entity functioning as a unit it's not about treating the symptoms because for me hormonal balance is about preventive medicine it's about giving people the choice and for them that when they're going to that time of their lives we never have that conversation that look this is what's going to happen now So you know where's your lifestyle setting what changes can you make there you know what are your choices and if you don't choose what does it mean you know because some people may choose not to do anything and that's a choice yeah uh, well what does that integrated approach then doctor may what does that integrated approach mean to the patient what does it actually mean for them what it means for them is that we will be giving them a comprehensive treatment plan where we will be using elements from conventional medicine i.e. if you need to prescribe hormones then we do that if you need any testing if i need to have any screening done then we use all those you know evidence based elements but we also then bring in things which may mean that changes to the lifestyle to their diet to their work life balance to any supplements that will help with metabolism of the any prescription hormones or you know whatever else may be needed and then if we need something to have more attention then we can find another colleague who can you know take a deeper dive into it because my practice is more towards menopause and hormones but if somebody has you know gut issues that need looking into then you know we can mm. refer them to an integrated gut specialist but it is essentially what we're saying is that the body has an innate ability to heal itself and we should not be ignoring that side of things and we use conventional medicine to our advantage and we, we you know we will not ignore any evidence that comes from outside of conventional medicine let's talk about hormone replacement therapy then i mean can anyone take that dr may simply answer the question it will be pretty much but there will always be exceptions to the rule and you know i think the biggest one being women who may have suffered estrogen who have suffered breast cancer or tumors which are estrogen receptor mm. positive or progesterone receptor positive but again it's important to have that conversation to see you know what what else can we help them with it is a joint conversation a joint decision where they have to be informed about the risks and benefits and you know at the end of the day it is the patient's choice 
And it is my job to say, what's the risk of this and what's the benefit of it? And if she's like, well, I do want to do this or some part of it, we'll say, this might be safer for you. You might not get the whole range of stuff to help you. But if we can solve one problem, mm -hmm. what would that be? And it's about quality of life for most of them. And I think for all of us, for me, quality of life would stay way above length of life. And in an ideal world, we want both, don't we? I'm guessing a lot of women suffer the menopause in silence, don't they? What would you say to those people who do suffer in silence and are going through absolute hell, really? Right. So there are two categories there of women going through menopause. And what I always say is that, you know, there'll be those who will be the smooth sailors. You know, they will not have any overt symptoms. So they're not getting the, the hot flushes and the night sweats, which tend to be the most traumatic of all symptoms. And therefore... A lot of us will get help when we're getting those symptoms because they're completely unbearable. But then there are other symptoms like anxiety or mood changes or energy levels depleting or sleeping disturbed. And those symptoms can happen for a whole lot of reasons. And it is so difficult to tease out whether it's life that's doing it to you. Is it your young adult children or is it long-standing relationships hitting new rocks or is it parents are not well? Is it all of that worry that's making you more worried? Or is it fuel to fire being added by the hormone changes that are happening? And I think when you're not sure, just go and have a conversation. Because having a conversation will allow you to see, you know, where the problem mm -hmm. might be. And so suffering in silence? No. Like I say, you know, there are no prizes for martyrs. <laughs> uh, but, and also, a lot of us will not have symptoms. So this is the important bit here. And again, it's about having the information and being able to make that informed choice. Because we may not be having any symptoms overtly, we're totally fine. You know, we don't sort of, memory's okay, energy's okay, so mm. it goes. But silently, behind the scenes, things are happening. In the first year of our period stopping, we lose 5% of our bone mass and 1% every year after that. And this is when the grandmother who's been fit as a fiddle just trips, you know, a little trip and, and the hip is gone because it has thinned over this time. But if we had prevented that from happening, mm. then it is about prevention. It is about understanding the fact that the benefits in terms of, again, heart disease reduction. So we're not going to wait for that heart attack to happen. Mm. We know that, you know, things are changing. The elasticity of the blood vessels changing. The blood vessels will, the, the surface of the blood vessels is going to get roughened up and therefore you're more likely to form clots and occlude. It's amazing, isn't it, how it affects many different parts of the body. I mean, are you saying as well that it affects bone density? Absolutely. So nothing, nothing works of bone density as well as oestrogen does in women. And of course, testosterone does the same job in men. Because what oestrogen is doing is it's allowing for what we refer to as a healthy bone cycle. So if you were to imagine like a Pac-Man situation where all bone has to be taken away by Pac-Man and the other guy is coming and putting mm. in new bone. So then this bone is healthy. It is not just hardened bone. It is flexible. It has, you know, the tensile strength, but it is flexible at the same time. What ends up happening is that we haven't given women the hormone replacement therapy of the choice of. When we end up fracturing or breaking a bone, we get put onto you know, substances like what we refer to as bisphosphonates. And what bisphosphonates do is that they harden the bone. They marbleize it. They make it hard. 
it is not flexible anymore and then that leads to other situations the dental problems where the bone then starts to undergo necrosis meaning that it's losing its blood supply because it's just getting you know more and more mortar put on it to make it hard and mobilize it but it's not healthy bone and those drugs are very hard to take they take a big toll on your stomach they have to be taken 30 minutes before eating or drinking anything you have to remain upright for 30 minutes and you know the amount of water you have to take with it and you know half the time mm. a patient is not able to tolerate it at the age when we start we put them on it Dr. Mayer, what if a patient or somebody who's going through the menopause has had cancer? What what are the choices then? So again, like I said, depends what cancer. So say if somebody's had cancer that's related to blood or it's not related to hormones at all, they can have hormone replacement therapy. Obviously, we will go through their history and you know, look at all the all the factors which are involved. If somebody's had breast cancer which is the biggest issue that needs some research is going on but we we need that research mm. to become practice and the trouble is that for any research to become practice or any good evidence to become practice you know it can take up to 20 years so in those women again it's good to have that conversation because there may be parts of the integrative approach that we can use to help they might be on a localized hormone or they may be able to take you know supplements that come with evidence or with any other alternative therapies that will help to improve their quality of life but yes you know we we would like to have hormones that will not stimulate the breast tissue but will give them the benefit for the bone and the heart mm. so we need hormones which are selective which will selectively target tissues that we can help to improve but not stimulate tissue that we don't want to stimulate i.e. the breast cancer So that's the direction where things are going in. Mm. You say on your websites, which is a great website, it tells you all about your particular clinic that uh, no two individuals are the same and you say it automatically results in a bespoke treatment plan. Tell us more about that. Because you know to me the most and you're absolutely right no two people are no two women are the same. We all share the same hormones. But every woman's journey to puberty is different. Every woman's periods although she's ha- they're all having them even if they all having them once a month is different their journey through pregnancy is different how they have gone through trauma is going to be different and how i always refer to as an orchestra you know it's all these different endocrine systems i your adrenals your ovarian hormones your thyroid hormone which all interact and if one piece is out of sync it is my job to understand as to what that can be and you can only do that by listening to their story and because the answers are in the story but if we do not listen to their story as in the story of their life and what they've been through and what's gone on and what impact you know trauma could have had and we don't take that into the equation of proposing the treatment plan then we will miss a trick so you have to look at the hormones yes you know we are guided by tests we are not dictated by them they're very complex you know they're snapshots in time and therefore you need to have the experience on of a having done them b having worked with them and c having understood them and also looking into you know more research oriented tests that can sometimes you know give us information but at the end of the day you know it is the clinician's job to work with the patient and you work as a team so that relationship is very important i have to listen to them i'm like no you've got this this has got to work no if it's giving her a headache it's giving her a headache So I need to think of how I'm going to improve that or what can I do to change that. 
Sure. I'm going to ask you a very, very layman-type question now, Dr. Mayer, and that is, how long does the menopause last? And again, I guess it's an open-ended question, isn't it? An open-ended answer. Everybody's different. Right. So here's the thing, which I think that we haven't done any service to women in terms of the definition of menopause. Because menopause just simply refers to no periods for the last 12 months. Now, that's no news to the woman. It doesn't help her in managing her life. It doesn't help her taking any decisions. Mm. It only helps us clinicians. Because for us, if the periods have stopped, i.e. the ovaries have stopped working for 12 months, and then if they go on to have a bleed or a period, then we're like, well, where did that come from? You know, is there another source of hormones that's kicking off in the body? Could there be cancer of the lining of the womb? Could there be something going on with the ovaries? That's pretty much about it, really. So... To answer the question, really, we are essentially going to be in a hormone deficient state till we die. And hormones have left us and then everything that will result subsequently due to the loss of that hormone, you know, all those Mm. disease processes will slowly start working. Then again, that's where it's important as if people who are not on hormones or can't take hormones or do not choose to take hormones, what else can they do to help themselves? And the hormones will start changing from our mid-30s, 40s. And again, everybody's starting point will be different. Some will settle very quickly in terms of hot flushes or night sweats because those are the apparent ones. But it's not like your brain fog is suddenly going to clear one day. You know, if those symptoms are happening, it's Mm. unlikely that they will recover. So, yes, you're right in saying how long is a piece of string in terms of symptoms only. But menopause is here to stay. This is, this is where we are. <laughs> this is where we are. This yeah. is the base. This is what I call the base camp menopause. And this is where you need to decide what are you going to put in your backpack to take on your hike <laughs> for the rest <laughs> of your life. So it's important to put the right things into that yeah. backpack, things that will work for you. And I'm guessing the first port of call to talk about the menopause is what, with your GP and then maybe come to somebody like yourself? Absolutely. And I think here's another thing that we we need to restore the confidence with regards to hormone replacement therapy in clinicians, in doctors, because when the flawed studies came out in 2003, it meant that it took the confidence away from the doctors. We lost a whole generation of clinicians who were confident in prescribing hormone replacement therapy. It, of course, took away the confidence from the patients. So for us to restore that confidence, first of all, is very important by making sure that we are getting the education and knowledge, and we are spreading that information amongst colleagues. So we are trying, but it's something that we all have to make an effort to. And what really does help, that if you go and knock on your GP's door, you don't know what you'll find. There's somebody who's really interested Mm. and will be able to help you. And if they're not able to help you, then it will highlight to them that they need to know more about it. So, you know, it's a complete win-win situation. And My position is if your GP is not able to help you, then come to me. Or they have tried something, it hasn't worked, then come to me. Or if you just choose to come to me, then come to me. But I feel that, you know, it's the buffet has to be available to everybody. Everybody should have a choice. And then if you want to have something different, then yes, that's up to you. But the basics have to be available and we have to move towards good practice because we are still prescribing hormone replacement therapies that that are archaic, that we we as clinicians is not good science. We've moved away from it. But because Mm. it is still being manufactured, we are still prescribing it. Long gone are the days when 
the prototype of hormone replacement therapy was hormones which were derived from the pregnant mare's urine, and then they, which were the conjugated equine hormones, but they are still being prescribed. So it's like, well, no, it doesn't look like a human's oestrogen, it looks like the mayor's oestrogen. We need to change that rhetoric. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating conversation. There's lots of great advice and detail on your website as well. So my Instagram is menopause expert and my website is menopausetreatment.co.uk. And you work closely, obviously, with Vita as well, don't you, Vita Health? Yes. Again, I am totally open to all evidence and what preparations are coming in. And if it is scientifically vetted, I include that in my treatment plans. Integration is so important. That's the way forward. Thank you so much, Dr. Sadia Mayer. Dr. Sadia Mayer runs the Mayer Clinic in Weybridge in Surrey. You can find out more at menopausetreatment.co.uk. Dr. Sadia Mayer, thanks for joining us on today's Vita Health podcast series. Thank you. Thank you for having me and all you women. Go out and inform yourselves. Thank you for listening to this Making People Better podcast, part of the Wellbeing series from Vita Health Group. Improving your lives physically and mentally drives everything we do, and getting you back to doing what you love is our priority. Vita Health Group, making people better. www.vitahealthgroup.co.uk.